Well, hey everyone, welcome to episode 316 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. On today's episode, I finally was able to speak with one of the most inspiring Canadian photographers of our time, Richard Martin. Richard is a creative powerhouse and I just love his approach to making images. Our conversation covers a huge plethora of topics revolving around his creative approaches for making images, and there's a lot of actionable advice in today's episode, so I highly encourage you to listen all the way to the end. Before we dive in, I want to thank our newest Patreon supporter, Kirsten Gregg. Kirsten opted to support us to gain access to episodes early, which keeps me highly motivated to produce episodes up to a month or more in advance for our Patreon supporters. Thank you, Kirsten. You rock. If you would like to support the show, please visit patreon.com forward slash f-stop and listen. And you can also find a link in the show notes. Thanks in advance for your amazing help in keeping the show afloat. Okay, let's get to this week's episode with Richard Martin. Richard Martin, it is so awesome to finally get you on the podcast. Well, it's, it's so good to be here, and I'm really delighted you invited me out to uh, for this conversation. Looking forward to it. Yeah, of course. Of course, of course. I, um, I can't even count on two hands how many people have recommended you for the show, and I know Eric Bennett really wanted you to come on the show, so finally mm. we've pulled it off. That's nice to hear. Yeah. It's great to be here. And by the way, um, we both did Out of Chicago Live not too long ago, and you were the keynote speaker, and you absolutely crushed it. Well, it's good to hear that. Thank you. I was pretty nervous for that. That was a live event, and there was a lot of hype leading up to the beginning. Yeah, so plus I was my first time doing a keynote, and I was wondering, can I do this? <laughs> so I'm glad it worked. Yeah, well... Well, you did. I mean, it was amazing. I mean, I've heard so many people say good things about it. So mm, That's great. Yeah. So for people that aren't familiar with you and your photography, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. Well, I'm Richard Martin, and um, I'm from Canada. I, um, I live in Kingston, a small city um, on Lake Ontario. Actually, it's on the borderline of U.S., Canada, where the Great Lakes, Lake Ontario meets the St. Lawrence River. So... It's uh, situated between two major cities, Montreal and Toronto, so it's, it's a nice place to live and you can always access the bigger places as you want to. And It's just a really good central place. But every, anywhere you live is good. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I don't know, I could think of some places oh, I wouldn't course. want to live. but <laughs> The grass is always greener on the other side, right? Oh, there is that, yeah, 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 yeah for sure. And uh, you're now a full-time photographer, is that right? Yeah, I, I primarily, I am full-time. Um, I primarily uh, do workshops and uh, photo tours, so that's how I earn my income from that. So I kind of have all my eggs in one basket, so to speak, and I felt that during COVID because what was gone from COVID was travel, and that was my business. <laughs> so I'm slowly getting back. But it's okay. It's yeah, good. I that, love it. Enjoy it. 
that really hurt a lot of people yeah. for sure. And I think it I think it taught some people some lessons too in terms of diversification. Yeah, the fallout was big, but and there was also some big winners too, if you're in real estate and stuff. But yeah, yeah you always manage to as humans we always manage to sort of work around it. And um are you married, kids, any of that stuff? I have two daughters um, and a partner. I, I, I'm, um, yeah, so that's what, where I stand now. Okay, good deal. And uh, your daughters? My daughter, one is a graphic designer, and the other one is, uh, has a PhD in, uh, in uh, nutrition. So she's a nutritionist at, um, at one of the hospitals, and the other one's a graphic designer. So I have a graphic designer nice. in the family, which is nice. Yeah, do they, does she uh, does she give you critique on your photography? Uh, not so much on the photography, but we always just we're always discussing fonts and design. I love graphic design too. I'm kind of a wannabe graphic designer, so I enjoy that. Nice, I love it. Yeah, so it's it's well, nice. Well, I know from our correspondence uh, that you grew up in the Thousand Islands region near uh, Lake Ontario. Can you can you tell us a little bit about how growing up there informed your love for nature and eventual pursuit of photography yeah well you know i was i was always surrounded by the natural world and as a child i was <clears throat> very interested in nature and always exploring and spending a lot of time in forests and have a big i'm a big fan of trees and sounds kind of weird but yeah um so that was you know those formative years were very solid and you know even though at the same time i was um drawing and sketching and stuff like that. So I had this really strong interest in the visual arts as well. So that was also a very early part of my, you know, growth or a foundation, I could say, in, in my photography, you know, later on to be photography. I didn't, mm -hmm. you know, and I grew up in um, times when there wasn't iPhones, there wasn't accessible cameras like there is today. Everybody, everybody has a camera in their hand. Um, so that was different, but I, the, the flip side or positive side of that is um, I wasn't distracted by, you know, gaming or uh, game machines and so on. And so I was outdoors all the time, whereas I think it's a different today, you know, it's not better or worse, but there's more distractions from getting outside and just exploring and doing things as a child. So, you know, more competition now, but yeah. So those formative years are good in terms of where it's landing me now in terms of what I'm doing with the camera. Yeah. Yeah. My son is 15 and spends a lot of time on his phone. And sometimes I wonder what that's going to do in terms of his interest in the natural world or relationships with other people. We've never gone through anything like this before as a species. So it's like all new territory. Yeah, it's, it's easy for us to preach to the different generation what they should be doing, but, you know, I'm sure if we were in their place, we'd probably do the same. It's all in the context of the Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, when I was a kid, I probably split my time between outside, being outside and playing Nintendo, so... <laughs> That's cool. You're much, yeah, you're much younger than me. Well, and then you said you, um, you spent a lot of time doing uh, graphic design type stuff, and I'm curious... Uh, how did how did those skills translate into shaping your approach to making images? Well, I should 
that was when my, you know, I was mentioning that today with my daughter being a graphic designer, I was, I've always been interested in graphic design. It's kind of an interesting connection there. But going back to, you know, adult, early adulthood, where I went through um, college to be an architectural technologist, and I worked um, 16 years in a firm and um, as an architectural technologist. So that was really interesting years. And that was, um, you know, we did, I did photography for the architects and for projects, but it was utilitarian in its approach. Um, yeah, so that was, so back in, uh, I just wrote, I'm not very good at dates, but in 76, at the beginning of my career in architecture, um, I discovered, um, you know, I'd always go at lunch break to this beautiful bookstore and look at the art books and so on. And I discovered the work of Ernest Haas that was in 1976, so it's a long time ago, and I just it just blew me away what you could what you could do with a camera, and uh, suddenly I realized that this was something I wanted to you know kind of change everything and think I can not just be utilitarian with a camera I can actually be childlike and live like a childlike uh, you know fantasies with finding stuff with a camera. You know, being adult with a camera is, is is a license to be childlike without you know getting away with it. <laughs> but it's interesting too. At the same time, um, that same year, I discovered that book, The Creation, which had in the back of the book it had all different ways he did double exposure and so on. And I actually I had a Leica R three camera, and it um, it had the multiple exposure function on it, so. Right from my very first few months of ever owning a camera, I had um, the functions of you know, doing double exposures or multiple exposures and experimenting, you know, and I, I love coming from the visual arts side of it. I was trying to adapt um, using the camera as a medium to express feelings and ideas. And I just dove into that and never looked back. But at the same year, a double whammy in the same year I discovered that book um, Freeman Patterson another a famous uh, Canadian photographer was uh, coming through to Queen's University in my t city and he had a seminar and I went to that and that was just that turned everything around so those two those two icons of photography have really formed the beginning foundation of how I think about using the camera and of course, from there on, there's all kinds of other influences, but I, I, and I, I enjoy it as much now as I have since I started, which is, you know, 40 plus years. And uh, yeah, in the first 21 years of using a camera, I didn't include people in the picture, which was interesting. Um, that is. Observation, it wasn't intentional, it was just an observation that, um, yeah, probably because I was, you know, maybe, it not not as interested, or maybe I was so fixated on, you know, having you know nature, natural subjects without the influence. But uh, I slowly, you know, progressed, and uh, I started uh, working. When I did a workshop in Cuba, I started working with a photojournalist. He kind of, you know, got me into photographing with people as an element in the picture. He told me I contaminated him with my art because he was. <laughs> he always, he said, you know, and he said, this is a little bit insulting maybe, but he looks at my artsy pictures and he said, your images look like empty movie sets. 
And he, he said, all <laughs> photographs must have a person in them. Well, I thought that was a little ridiculous, but we still joked around, of course. It wasn't like meanness, but it was more of a teasing thing, I suppose. But it did make me think. Yeah. Anytime someone says something to you, it makes you think, right? It kind of gets into your head right. and think, wow. Yeah, so. so going back to the architecture mm-hmm. uh, angle, you know, as you were talking, I, was, I realized that in architecture, for the most part, you're kind of confined by the boundaries of reality in terms of, like, engineering and physics and, like, you know, and material strength mm-hmm. and things like that. You can't just imagine anything like it has to be within certain parameters and i'm curious if the photography was almost like an escape for you away from some of those rigid constraints that architecture kind of forces you to be a part of that's a good point and very true um i you know i was 16 years in the firm and uh, it was a very creative environment but there's a lot of limitations not every architect gets to be like frank gary uh, there's all kinds of practical restraints, right? And budgets and so on. Right, cost. Yeah. <laughs> but the pressure of that whole office thing, and I wasn't a big, I'm not a really, you know, when I look back, I, I'm not really a fan of working in an office. So um, it was a good escape or a good segue to, because I started teaching workshops um, and starting doing some, you know, speaking engagements um, before I left the firm, but. It was a slow transition, you know, and it's you go from, or you know, uh, an income that is somewhat guaranteed to one that's, you know, different than that. Right? If you're self-employed, it's it's very different. Not for everyone, I suppose. But the benefits pay off. I think there's there's a lot of advantages. I mean, you know, you can look at the plus and minuses, but I wouldn't change a thing if I could do it over. I prefer to have a good quality of life than to be super super rich. Although both would be nice, but or tied to a desk. Yeah, that's something that I I, I didn't like. So that's got us some value yeah. right there. Yeah. 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 I mean, at what point did your photography evolve into a tool for personal expression? But, um, yeah, the moment that when I mentioned before, the moment that I discovered the work of those two uh, icons, that was a moment that said, okay, this is not just utilitarian. This is like, it could be so much more exciting. And I didn't really realize that because, you know, um, I just wasn't exposed to that. So that was, it was good timing and good, uh, just the way serendipity worked, but yeah. So in, in using photography as a medium for self-expression, mm-hmm. is that something that you are doing intentionally in the moment or is it something that you become more aware of after the fact or kind of what's that process look like for you yeah that's that's a good point um it's i i never i never have an agenda i've never had a plan with my photography it's it's, so it's natural so it's something i realized later after looking at my work that it was it was deeply personal because i was doing it for myself i wasn't doing it for someone else so, you know, it's, it's very much a personal thing. So all my photography that people see uh, online and so on and whatever ma- way they get to see it in magazines, it's all deeply personal and um, expressive. It's like, you know, interpreting dreams. You can interpret photographs um, and you can learn a lot about somebody by studying their work. It's interesting. That is true. Yeah. Uh, it's 
funny we brought this up because I was in a debate just today with some other photographers about this on Discord, and I keep coming back to this concept of intent when it comes to creating. Um, and I know that intent isn't a necessarily necessary ingredient for creative um, process, but I'm curious for you, is does intent play any role in terms of kind of how you approach making images and what the final result is? Yeah, um, I, I, I really go out, I mean, it, it's there, I've evolved over the years, but um, at this at this moment and many years before this, um, I usually go out without really any intent. I, I just, you know, I've learned that I just want to go out with my camera and I don't worry about, you know, you just I just want to go out and if I have a certain time I can go, I'll just go anyway regardless of the wind blowing or whatever happens. And I'll just be out there with my camera and I'll find interesting things and I may not find any things that I was maybe looking for. Although I have learned, long learned um, long ago um, that if you have unrealistic expectations then you're gonna be disappointed a lot. So, you know, like for example, frost on yes. grasses and you could go out for five mornings and there's no frost and then the, the morning you don't go out there is. Right. So, you know, I, I learned that <laughs> just to relax and let go and, and just enjoy it, really. So, so I guess I don't have an intent. Sounds kind of weird. But, um, and I enjoy it so much just going out and, and actually, it actually improves my photography. It sounds a little bit different because most people have very strict goals, right? About uh, what's Yeah, no, I mean, it doesn't sound, it doesn't sound weird to me. I mean, mm. I also don't really have intent usually when I'm out mm -hmm. um, it sounds like I mean I used to but it sounds like you and me are more like if we were to they say hunter and gatherer like it sounds like you're more of a gatherer than a hunter yeah definitely um, I'm definitely um, I've always considered myself a gatherer in approach to photography so I you know I'm it's a very relaxed approach with no set goals and that's I just wish I had known this years ago um, this approach or you know I wasn't really aware of it I mean it's not like if you're a hunter or a gatherer by you know approach to photography it most people think that's a competition but it's not like one is better or worse than the other it's, right. it's like a you know um, a test to see what kind of personality you are you just are that way right so it's not like better or worse and I hear people getting into this competition about oh I'm a hunter I'm a gatherer and so on but when you think of all the words used in photography uh, it does sound like the hunter, right? You know, you, you shoot something, you point and shoot, you capture it. These are all like uh, kind of aggressive terms, I think. But it's interesting. I just it's almost like a comedian would look at something like that, those words, because we right. just use them without really. It's just what it's just the language we use, right? Um, anyways, yeah. What are what are the what are your alternative words? <laughs> oh, I don't have any. I, just, I use the same ones, I suppose. I just get caught up in you know. Sometimes you feel you find yourself uh, conscious of, oh, I just said I'm going to go. Yeah, you don't tell the customs guy you're going to go shooting uh, something on the right. street, <laughs> stuff like that. Um, right. So, so, so I prefer <laughs> when I'm out. I prefer to let things unfold, and uh, I like to be open and unbiased, non-judgmental. And uh, you know, it depends on your personality, and it depends on what you're photographing, because. You know, I mean, if I was photographing uh, wildlife and stuff like that, I would have to have a different approach. 
So I'm not saying that. It's just that, you know, the work that I make and what I enjoy doing, it's just that's kind of where I fit into that sort of hunter-gatherer kind of thing. And it's always been, like, the process for me has always been one of discovery. So it just, I like that whole thing. And to, you know, natural impulses over reason, you know. And, you mm-hmm. know, I'm never worried about being logical or in my approach to that. But it sounds like it wasn't always that way for you? Well, I, I suppose at the beginning, but um, it was because of, because of the, uh, you know, your background, right? Your experience. So in architecture, it's, it's a different thing. So it took a little while for that kind of to maybe evaporate. And as I find, you know, this, this uh, artistic expression with the camera, with the medium of photography... I mean, you can use all these are all just terms and you can use all kinds of words to describe this stuff. And it can be very art speak, you know, but um, ultimately it's personal. So I'm lucky that I I am able to just do what I want to do because I, you know, I use my images for uh, teaching. I use them to inspire students in my workshops. And I, you know, I've been, I did a lot of articles over the years with Photo Life magazine. I was 16 years writing for that magazine and mostly articles about creativity and design and really no articles on how to, but there's lots of those out there, but I just wanted to do something they, I wanted to contribute something that they weren't covering so much, which was really needed to be covered. And yeah, uh, more of that is still needed, I think. It is. There can never be enough of that. There's sometimes... There's a lot of talk about... There's nothing wrong with talking about equipment. Obviously, you need to know the tools. But I don't... Like some people I know, I don't swim in the technology and do the backstroke in it sort of thing. (laughs) I really... I only (laughs) want to know as much as I can know. I don't want to know anymore. But I... You know, I slowly learn things I need to learn, but I I use my camera in a very basic way. In a very, you know, straightforward... I would say, I would say that's probably one of my biggest regrets in my photography career is I spent far too much time obsessing about equipment and numbers and stats and megapixels and you know like it's all so sexy and exciting, but it doesn't really make you a better photographer. Definitely not, <laughs> without question, not no. But it's you know it's useful. I mean, we have access to all this equipment and and we have choices. And why right. not make choices? And, you know, I often rely on my friends who are really, you know, really knowledgeable about equipment. If I'm every so often, if I go to get a new camera, I might ask around about that. Because I don't, I'm, don't really sure. have the interest in researching myself. And I have some people I put my trust in. But, um, yeah, so, you know, that's, that's about it on that part. But, yeah. T- equipment thing is can be i mean let's face it there's a lot of hype around equipment and you need to of course when you're selling equipment everything is hype right so well so yeah enough about equipment no one's excited about equipment so you know richard i see you as one of the more creative photographers of our time and i'm curious what have been some of the keys for your creative development that's a good question and it's a very good compliment too (laughs) thank you um you're welcome the the key for me is i I know we, we talked about this a bit. Um, <clears throat> so first and foremost, I make pictures for the joy of it and without thinking about practicality and serving a purpose. So, you know, it's like 
I'm not really, um, because I'm doing that without serving any purpose or practicality, and it's a very, very personal and joyful experience, I'm free, I'm free to uh, just be very, very creative because I'm not restrained by, you know, restrictions and I'm not having to conform to some group of, some group or individual. Um, so I'm free to be myself and, and, you know, it's like, I don't really care if people like or don't like my images. Obviously, you want people to like your work, but what happens when you try and please everybody and impress everybody with your work, you lose your individuality. It's kind of like going to school back in the day and you want to fit into a group, so you dress differently, you maybe talk differently, or your attitude is different, but it's not really yourself. <laughs> but you're trying to get in that group or trying to, you know, be accepted. So same thing with creativity and photography, I suppose. Um, if you can let go of all that, you can be totally free to keep growing in your, in your photography. And, you know, you obviously need some passion and interest in it as well. But I, I see that a lot, the biggest hindrance and um, people, you know, making breakthroughs in their creativity is, one is also, it's not only that, it's also the fact that they don't believe they're creative because maybe someone told them they weren't or they're not confident enough. So some of those things are restricting them. So I think that's, um, that's how I keep growing creatively and I'm still growing. I mean, as old as I am and after 40, imagine after 40 plus years, I, I am as passionate about photography as I was when I began, maybe even more so. And there's never been better times than right now to make images the way the way you want them to be presented because we have so much so many great tools to use, but the tools won't make us great better or I should say better and, and creative. Um, they're just tools to that. We are the creative, our imaginations and our minds are that way. So going back to that previous thing about yeah, it's kinda of boring talking about equipment, but um yeah, that's all been talked about before but so you know i'm always striving for personal growth and um a new direction and trying new things and kind of self-evaluating what i do and and finding patterns that i may want to get out of that i get stuck in and i may try something different and it's a real evolution process uh how about you is that something that i i noticed your photography change over um because i started uh I think during COVID is when I sort of got more into social media and stuff, but I started, I did see a big change in your work too. I mean, we're all evolving in our creative sense. And do you feel that yourself? Yeah, for sure. I mean, for me, I think the biggest change has been just being more open to what I find versus having a set agenda. That's mm -hmm. really helped me a lot in terms of just uh, reacting to what I find in the field and and just responding to it being the person that I am like certain things excite me that might not excite you and vice versa and I think mm -hmm. that's what differentiates us as creative people is you know you might be super interested in water and reflections in water and movement in water mm -hmm. and I might find that sort of interesting but I might find something else more interesting so it's it's really just about honing in on kind of what excites you and then trying to harness that energy and developing it into something that has some cohesion, I guess. 
Yeah, I think it's it's kind of like um, it's like mo movies, watching movies and in different interests, or listening to music, or all that kind yeah. of thing. I mean, it'd be very boring if we were all the same and we all like the same thing. Yes. Do you find yes. Do you find in your photography? Do you find you sometimes have preconceived ideas about? I mean, it depends on the subject matter, but do you find that that gets in your way if you go out on a hike and you kind of know what you might expect or is yeah this, i mean hard? that question kind of leads me into like where i wanted to take this conversation next because mm -hmm. one thing that i do notice about myself on occasion is that um you know i, I look at a lot of photography because i run the natural landscape photography awards and mm -hmm. you know I, I have a podcast so I, I mean i look at a lot of people's work a lot of mm -hmm. constantly and you know it's in my head you know, and I sure. see a lot of stuff. And, and sometimes I have noticed that I might be photographing a subject, um, maybe like aspen leaves or something. And I remember a certain photographer's presentation of that. And it's like I get a little bit kind of uh, obsessive, compulsive about wanting to create the photo in that image versus mm -hmm. trying to play with it in my own style. So that that's something that I've noticed about myself that I have to be conscious of, not to try to, you know, copy other people necessarily and try to be more just reactive. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's about, um, are you talking about in terms of, you know, uh, comparing your work or, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, that was going to be you, one of you know, my next... It's human nature to do that, but I mean, can't be. so... That, for me, it's not necessarily about comparison when I'm in the field. Um, mm. It's more like, oh, I remember so-and-so created an image of that subject, and I liked what they did with it. Maybe I could play mm. with that idea, too. And then you end up creating something that looks very similar to that person's image, but might not necessarily be you. Right, yeah. So subconsciously, sometimes we're influenced. I know that music is that way. There's a lot of bands that, you know, how many times have, and it's been court cases, and how many times have I listened to music and say, that sounds just like another band. But right. these may be coincidental, but, you know, it does sometimes unconsciously creep in. Right. Um, but I think. Well, for me, it's very conscious. Like, I'm very aware when yeah. it happens. Oh, um, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, well, that's um, different. Yeah, like, here's a perfect example. Um, last fall, um, I think it was my second day of my trip, it snowed. And that's pretty unusual for Colorado fall. Like when it snows, it's really exciting and really special. Um, mm -hmm. And it was also windy. So that meant I knew, I just in my mind, I knew, oh, there's a fresh blanket of snow. There's going to be aspen leaves on top of the snow. That's mm -hmm. going to make for some really interesting contrast. And I remember just setting off on my own and hiking um, in the woods and I found this really large area of just snow with leaves on it and all I could see was this this specific photo of Eric Bennett's in my head that I've always admired mm. <laughs> and it's like and that's all I could see is like oh I want to recreate a similar image like his so that's an example of what I'm talking about okay yeah I mean Does I that understand that yeah it it can get it can creep in there but um, I think one thing I've noticed 
um, in social media for me is I get a lot of feedback saying that um, I knew this was your image. They're talking about to me. They knew it was my image before they looked at the name. And I've, I've heard that many, many years on Facebook and even more recently on like Instagram comments. And <clears throat> I think that's a nice thing to hear because I don't even really, we don't look at our own work like other people do and we're too close to it. And right. it's very hard for us to see patterns in our own work for the most part. We can see some obvious ones, but um, so that yeah. is nice to hear. But I mean, there are times when things are similar and situations are similar but so I the, think Eric's getting it Eric's got into your head that's what he's done he did <laughs> so the so the unfortunate thing is that um I used to get people used people used to say the same thing to me back in like 2014 but it mm -hmm. wasn't for good reasons it was because I used to do a lot of really bad HDR editing of mm -hmm. these like super ridiculous mountain scenes and people would say right. that, like, oh, I knew that was yours before I saw the name. And, and now I look back at that, and I'm like, oh, my God, what a terrible thing to be known for. Like, I just don't want that to what It just doesn't represent who I am anymore. So that's been a painful thing for me is, like, not painful, but just kind of rediscovering who I am as a photographer. It's actually exciting, yeah. not painful. But um, mm -hmm. I look forward to the time when people say that again. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. So in a different way, yeah. It all it's all about could be about style or the way you see or your vision, your personal vision. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you brought it up. Um, you know, one of the things that I feel like we all can do from time to time is compare our work to other people. And I'm curious if you want to talk a little bit more about that and kind of what how you think yeah. about that. I was going to also ask you that too, but I, I, I'm never concerned about approval from others. I think I mentioned that a little bit. And I know there's a huge danger, great danger in, in, in chasing popularity. And that's the whole thing on social media, which, you know, that could be a whole discussion. Um, but I think we lose our originality when we, when we try to meet approval. Uh, you know, I think I explained that also about the way high school, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> So, you know, um, there's lots of analogies there, but I think there's a negative aspect of that comparing your work to others. And um, I think that, I think some suggestions to break away from that is like to relax control and, uh, and loosen up and give permission for us to do new things as photographers, try new ideas and, you know, take more risks in our image making. And it's easier said than done, but, um, there, once you do it, it's like, wow, it's like this super load comes off. It's like a freedom to do. Just imagine if you didn't care. I mean, it's not like you don't care. I don't mean it in a negative way. But if you weren't um, concerned about what other people thought, then you really can find your own voice because otherwise you're kind of really wearing someone else's clothes, so to speak. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, and I know it's, it's easier said and it's than hard done, too, but it's right? also tough. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it it's hard when... So two things come to mind for me. Um, mm -hmm. It's hard when you... When photographers rely on workshops or print sales mm -hmm. to sustain them financially because f for at least some people I've spoken to, those two things are kind of always in the back of their mind in terms of like, oh, I got to get a good photo of 
this area to use for promotion of my workshops. And I think that's the, the problem with that approach is, you know, your, is your workshop about a location or is it about you as the photographer, right? So mm. I think that's one thing there. And then the other is print sales. Like, you know, if you do make a lot of money um, on print sales, there's certain images that just don't do well or maybe there's certain types of images that consistently uh, sell well for you. Um, and it's like you feel compelled to create more similar images so that you can continue to financially sustain yourself. So like, those are challenges that I see some photographers facing. Now, obviously, it doesn't mean you have to um, appease those needs, but I think for some people that's always going to be in the back of their heads. True. Yeah, very true. Um, <clears throat> I think in terms of uh, workshops, I think that I, I've slowly... I've slowly gained a reputation for the way I see and the way I help people see on their own terms. Now, I don't, I never, you know, impose my seeing on my participants or students, but I ask them questions when I look at what they make photograph and I will ask them a question instead of saying, you should do it this way. I will ask them what about this or this so they can figure it out on their own. But, um, yeah, so everything is a little different there. Like, um, so for me, it's reputation and, and my personal vision based on, you know, examples. Um, but I, I'm not really in the print sales side of it. I mean, I used to have gallery representation, but I, I kind of got really busy with workshops and tours. And I was at the top of my game just before the pandemic. And it's all deflated and slowly crawling back. <laughs> yeah. But, well, uh, yeah. Well, something something that's related to this that I really wanted to talk to you about is um, kind of getting into creative ruts in terms of mm -hmm. how our images look and feel. I know, you know, most of us can kind of get into a rut where our photographs start to all kind of look the same. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes I think this is because we're in a creative rut, but I also think there might be a voice in the back of our head saying, we need this to be consistent to our brand and our style. You know, mm. like how how do you balance that when when you're making images? Sounds like That's you don't even question. think about that. I, <laughs> I'm not even aware that I have a a brand. Well, I guess I have a style, <laughs> but uh, I think that in terms of the that's addressing that part. Um, do I have a brand? I'm not worried about a brand. I think that as a photographer. Um, I obviously am lousy at marketing, but as a photographer, if I have a brand, my brand is my visual, my vision, right? Which is exemplified by the photographs that one looks at. Um, so, but on the other side of being in a rut or a creative rut, um, I deal with that by working in different genres, which I kind of addressed, well, I did address uh, at a Chicago on my Saturday morning talk about crossing over boundaries and that you know let's face it 40 some years you could have a tendency to get a little bit stale depending on what you're up to but um so those crossing over boundaries in different genres has really kept me at the top of my game and excited all the time um for example at the beginning of the pandemic when i had seven full trips uh, sold out and, and canceled. 
and suddenly it's like a it's it's like you know in the days of school where the bus doesn't come because of a storm and you get a day off only this was two years off <laughs> so things <laughs> happen right so i started i started going out and um you know just photographing where i live which i never had time to before because i was always getting ready for the next trip um and and then i started mixing it up with um with um auto salvage yards or you can call them junkyards those are all oh, labels interesting and i think i showed some of that stuff and so i was i was maintaining my excitement by you know making field trips to to photograph and i wasn't photographing the label you know automobiles that are rusting away in a forest i was photographing sculpture and landscapes of the mind and it was exciting and then i would go out to a provincial park and i would take the same trail over and over again and photograph it under different seasons or different lighting conditions and different climates. Um, so I kept really up there. So just those mixtures of interest kept me fresh. And uh, yeah, and I also you, I get I get inspired also by movies and and uh, just all visual things really pump me up. So I'm kind of always hyped up and ready to do something and excited so i think that's a good way to be how did you I get don't know if that answers. Uh, it does yeah how did you get into the um the salvage yards like that's a very it's a great idea <laughs> okay well um this it, it goes way back to um when i was working in the architectural practice i was teaching night classes in photography and i did a night class in in design in composition without rules i'm against rules so I had like a mixture of painters and photographers and we were just dissecting and discussing images and how they work and how they express certain feelings. And then I, I showed, I found a, this really interesting rusted truck in a field and I photographed it and it was part of my presentation discussion. And the guy in the class said, if you like this, you should go to this place because they have uh, 600 of these old rusting things, uh, trucks and cars. Um, like 1950s and 40s. So that was kind of the side road that I took from all up to that point. It was all natural world. And I took this little side road and it kind of dovetailed with my fascination with sculpture and painting and that lifelong interest in that. So that's interesting how serendipity takes you on different things. And, you know, I also enjoy photographing uh, really graphic modern architecture. So like in the city of Toronto, mm -hmm. I live three hours east of Toronto and I enjoy photographing it there. And I've done some uh, workshops there as well. And uh, just seeing abstraction, again, it's not like it's not an architectural workshop. It's about seeing patterns and curvilinear form and so on in the architecture. So anyway, that I don't know if that answers your question, but I I'm all over the place there. But I think no, that does. kind of shows you the dovetailing of interests that uh keep me out of a rut yeah so yeah i mean it's um it's almost do you like find you're, you're in a rut sometimes oh of course well um, we all we all do it's almost it's human right yeah i mean it's it's almost like um you know like when you're working out and you're working different muscles mm -hmm. um you know i feel like creativity is a lot of different muscles and sometimes as nature photographers we're only flexing one of those muscles and the rest mm -hmm. of the muscles are kind of atrophying. So it sounds like your approach is being to like work all the muscles out so that 
the main muscle can still stay strong, but it's not relying on just that one thing. Yeah. So that's a, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. I think that my reason for uh, different genres um, is not for financial, because I want to profit from, you know, let's say I want to do all these different things to make more income. I'm doing it purely for creative purposes. So I'm kind of funneled into, you know, I've always teach, I've always been teaching. So, I mean, a lot of times uh, workshop instructors are, you know, very successful um, stock photographers and so on from the day and then sort of had to find another way. But right from the very beginning of my career, I was helping, even if informally, I was teaching and helping people. And I just autopilot to that. I even help people that aren't even in my workshop if I'm seeing somebody struggling on the street or I'll show them this really cool shot I just made and they're, they're just a stranger. And they say, oh, that's cool. I love that. How do you see that? So I think I'm always in that mode. So that's my motive for that. So it's, um, but it is a good, I mean, it's not for everybody, I suppose, but I think it might be something to think about if you're a photographer and you try some different things, just try different things. Can you talk to me about the importance of restoring our amateur status? Okay, that's, yeah, so I think being an expert at anything inhibits creativity. I mean, it sounds like a weird comment, but when I find that once you become the expert, you, you, because you're told you're, or you think you're the expert, you stop exploring beyond that. So, you know, if, if I thought I knew everything, then that's the moment I would be, I would stop growing in my, and I always want to keep growing in my work. So I think in order to look at the world with fresh eyes, we need to empty out old habits of thinking. And it kind of reminds me, uh, another analogy is like when I was in school, and I don't know if you had blackboards when you were in school, maybe they have electronic boards now, but back in the day we had slate, s slate blackboards with chalk, and every day someone was assigned to clean those boards spotless for the next day. So the, the analogy there is I think we should we should clean our blackboards or defrag our, our minds of you know all that accumulative stuff so that we can be fresh with new ideas. Might be hard, easier said than done. I think we should always be striving to learn more and grow and more in our photography and not accept the fact that yeah, I let's say, you know, for example, I've done multiple exposures um, for 30 some years it you know if i thought i was the expert then i would stop experimenting and i when i switched to a mirrorless camera it it threw off the procedure for making them for me it was not like all the previous times i did it i had to do it very differently so i had to kind of relearn it and uh you mm -hmm. know at first it was and some of my friends were saying it's a negative thing but I, you know, I kept pushing through and I, I found out actually the way it is now, it's actually an advantage over the way I used to do it. But, um, so I think, you know, always pushing for that. Do you find that you have that issue or, I mean, can you relate to that? Yeah, I think the way that I can relate to that is, um, I find myself using the same kind of techniques over mm -hmm. and over again and not trying new ones. And obviously like the more you can experiment, the the better I wouldn't say better images but it definitely expands your horizons yeah. so last fall for me was like really pivotal because 
I actually experimented with a lot of different um, techniques that I was familiar with, but that I didn't really use mm-hmm. very often. And it was actually a lot of fun because it opened up a lot of doors for me in terms of just making images that are very different than what I normally make. And it was a lot more fun. Yeah, that's good that sometimes sometimes things trigger you to pivot at a different point, right? And sometimes it's through practical reasons or, yeah, but I think that's really important to, you know, just to always sort of uh, let go of, of um, old knowledge. Yeah, just yeah, let, let it go. go. And, I like it. <laughs> maybe the, the new stuff will, will help trigger new ways of approaching things. Like, do you find that, um, for example, you, we always are creatures of habit, you know, right? and I, I see people like walk up and set their tripod up before they even see what they're going to do. They just set it up at a, at a normal height, right? And what if you want to be low? They're committing already before they even look around. I'm not criticizing them. I'm just saying it's just a habit, right? So um, do you find sometimes uh, you take um, a certain height to explore things or do you experiment like, low to the ground how often how often do you make a picture right on the ground with your camera right at the ground or right at the at the surface of the water yeah no i've um, the last year i've been intentionally uh, keeping the tripod away at first and exploring Mm -hmm. different angles of the camera just because i did find myself getting into more of a kind of business as usual approach to using the Mm -hmm. tripod and that definitely helped me in terms of, you know, getting lower, getting higher, shooting at different angles. And so I I think it's important in my approach now, it's important to the tripod is like later. And I try to find the interesting image first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember when I started in photography, I had all the Ansel Adams books. And, you know, you talked about using the preview card to visualize a viewfinder, right? Oh, right. And just to walk around and explore possibilities, right? Yeah. And sometimes we would do this with, I'm talking about the film days, uh, transparencies, and sometimes you would you could just use a, an empty slide frame, you know, and, and use that. But it's nice to have a bigger card. It's about visualizing. So before you commit, you spend some time and you look around. And, it's, you know, it's well, hopefully talking about the art of slowness as well, but... It's like it helps you, you know, not just be in default mode and just stand up and do the same thing because that's how you can get out of that mode is by just breaking it up. And um, sometimes I, I even know about this and I sometimes forget to to explore, you know, different points of view. And I, I absolutely love the flip screen. And years ago when I went to India, I picked up a, a Canon point and shoot. It had a flip screen. I'm a Nikon user. but <clears throat> So... I, I, you know, I always said way back then, in a perfect world, every camera would have a flip screen. But, you know, many, many years after, my, all my Nikons didn't have that. But I went to mirrorless, it had a flip screen. I didn't ask for it, but it had it. And I find it really useful to, to work at low levels without getting your face in, where well, you can't get your face down someplace and you would want to, to look through the viewfinder. But it's such a nice convenience Yeah, to I, do uh, that. And you can get... S- yeah, Sony finally has it on the A7R5. Not to talk about gear, but like mm-hmm. I've been waiting for that forever. <laughs> I finally have it. Well, it's just a nice, it's a nice part of the tool, right? It's just these are all tools, and we just work. You know, you can hand me anything, and I'll work with it. But 
if you have these options, it's they're just kind of nice to yeah to because uh, I often would work at ground level and uh, it's not easy when it's like muddy and wet. Right. It's not fun, <laughs> and yeah. some places uh, you you just don't want to. But I think it's exciting, and, and I guess it's all coming back to the point of view, the unusual vantage point about looking at something because we tend to just look in general we tend to look at our, our our height eye level height and uh yeah i always joke about i can't get high enough or low enough and uh yeah so that's it's always fun but yeah i'm actually i'm actually excited this year i got a a, a new tripod that goes higher than i've ever had before and so um, mm-hmm. i'm i'm not totally sure how i'll use that but it you know it gives you a one other option that you didn't have at your disposal before in terms of experimentation so yeah and because because you're extremely high you you, you can reuse your the screen to modify right actually your height. now that yeah. i mentioned that i i did actually use that in the last outing i was photographing a uh an agave plant on the ground and but mm-hmm. I, I don't have i don't have a macro lens right now but i do have a 100 to 400 and but mm-hmm. I wanted to get further, far enough away from it so that I could actually, you know, get it properly in focus and everything. And having the high tripod with the flip screen was perfect. Mm, that's great. So, so it's good to go. have the tools. Good to you have just the sort tools. of adapt to what you have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. can you can you tell me about your approach to questioning everything? Like, what do you mean by that? Sounds kind of pompous, doesn't it? But actually, when I was <laughs> when I was younger, sounds like a sci-fi um, sci-fi I mean, movie or something. Oh right, yeah right. Um, I think you know it, it comes from it starts it comes from political and to all kinds of things in life. I think we should always question things and not take it for face value. But for me, in creativity, it means I'm, t- I'm talking about looking at things in a different ways, in adopting a different approach. And there was this quote that uh, I don't know who it's it's from one of the books I have but it says if it's not broke break it (laughs) that's like the opposite I love that something to you should get a t-shirt with that (laughs) so basically you know um, take things apart so to speak and uh, you know shake up the shake up everything yeah in terms of and you never know where it's going to lead to it could it may not lead to anything but it possibly may lead to something I love it. These are just all these things are they all add to the, you know, the the craft and uh, just keep growing. Right. I don't think we want to do the same thing forever. So no. Yeah. Well, perhaps related to that question, I wanted to ask you <clears throat> if you could tell me about the role of ambiguity in your creative process. Okay. Well, I think that uh, we were taught in school not to be ambiguous, right? I mean writing class and so on. But I think I think there's something nice about looking at images that um, we don't quite know what's there, what we're looking at. And as photographers, we kind of want to know what that is. It's natural. But I think that that all ties into labels and labeling things. So if you connect that back to the, the junkyards, which actually the word junk is a negative word, negative label, but yeah. salvage yards. Uh, but if you... if those images I have of um, of the old cars and trucks, they're really, to me, they're not about the label cars and trucks. They're, they're about, and actually for me, it's the la- landscapes of the mind. I'm looking at landscapes. I'm looking at sand dunes where the undulating curves and 
the colors and a lot of colors that are like in nature that are rusted and patinas are very much like the earth. And uh, so I think when we engage in something that's new, we should um, we should engage with our imagination instead of using labels to try and figure out what it is or even ask what it is. Like you can look at a stream with interesting flecks on it and it looks like it could look like galaxies in the night sky. But, you know, it's nice to have that playful way of looking at things, even though it's, it's just water with flecks on it. But the way it's presented and it's absolute reality through your camera, it can be quite different. So it's somewhat ambiguous. I think I really enjoy images that are ambiguous. And um, I don't know about you. Do you, it's that, do you see when you see something that you don't know what it is? Are you tempted? I mean, as a photographer, one, you might be tempted to wonder about what it is. But don't you think that you would enjoy it so much and if you didn't know what it quite what quite what oh, it was I mean, as? I absolutely love trying to figure out what stuff is when I can't when it's not obvious. I think that's incredibly fun and I think it also is um shows the true genius of the photographer that they were able to recognize that there's ambig ambiguity in the mm -hmm. subject that they're photographing and that the viewer would have fun playing around with that in their mind. Um, mm -hmm. I'm curious for you when you're capturing am ambiguity, ambiguity, when you're capturing ambiguity, <laughs> ambiguity. Um, yeah. is it intentional or is it accidental? It's subconscious. Okay. Um, I don't think, yeah, I, I'm actually, I'm so much on autopilot that I don't really have any intentions. I mean, I, I totally, I'm just, I am completely, and I'm, that's my, you know, I'm completely uh, um, open to and no agenda, right? So I have never any, any sort of intent. And actually, that, that's my secret sauce, one of my secret sauces. Well, you heard it here. There's a secret sauce. Oh, I, not overthinking it, right? So it, when you overthink, the more you overthink, the more you hash it out, the duller it might be. I, that's for me anyway. I, that's yeah. my experience. Well, it totally makes sense. Yeah, yeah totally, sense? totally. Well, I know you had <laughs> started to allude to this a little bit, and I know it's become a bit of a cliche, but I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the importance of slowing down in your approach to making photographs. Yeah. Did you say that was somewhat cliche these days? Or? I mean, it's... Or you hear a lot about it. You a mean, lot of yeah. people are talking about it, yeah. Yeah. I think I, I learned about it um, <clears throat> back in the early 80s from uh, Robert Stahl. He's an amazing, creative, very creative photographer out in Seattle. Um, and uh, he was talking about the art of slowness. But I think, uh, you know... Let's face it, you can't rush creativity. And on my workshops that I've been doing for so many years, I, I see the effects of, I call a hurry sickness on the workshop participants. And there, I kind of also call it the butterfly effect. So, I mean, I, I move pretty slowly on a, on a trail or on a path that I'm photographing or a direction I'm photographing. Um, and I see people, I could spend like an hour in one spot <clears throat> and people will come up, take a shot. They're gone. They're gone over there. They're over there, but never spending enough time to get into the essence of what they're looking at. You can't really see because it's seeing takes time, right? So 
you know, and a hurried life can exhaust the creative mind. And we were all sometimes overbooked and all that kind of thing. But um, so it's really mindfulness. You know, that's that's a word that's used a lot. But uh, it's being mindful and almost meditative in your photography. I, I think the first time I heard meditation described to me, I thought I immediately thought that's what I do with my photography. I didn't even know I was doing it. So. It was being slow, mindful, taking everything in, and um, as opposed to rushing it. So, I think you know, practicing slowness in your photography is very beneficial. Sometimes it just could be like if you're out. You, know, you do a lot of hiking stuff and long trips, right? Yep. They yep. don't have to be long trips, but let's say you're out for um, three or four hours. It's useful every hour or two <clears throat> just to stop and and just relax for 20 minutes and just take it in and then pick up your camera and just, it helps you slow down. So, so yeah. as you were about talking you? about this, yeah, yeah, as you were talking about this, I, um, I had a little bit of a realization. <laughs> so mm -hmm. back in, it's probably starting in 2018, I, I would do these annual photography trips for long periods of times in the fall. Mm -hmm. And most years I would meet up with uh, a photographer that I really admire. His name is Jimmy Gekas. And um, he um, he has a lot of really expressive, just intimate, uh, amazing, amazing photographs, especially in fall. And I was, I never could figure out, I mean, I figured out now, but at the time I was like, how is he pulling this off? Like, the, he's just a genius. And and I remember, mm -hmm. I'm, as you were talking, I was thinking about the first time I went hiking with him. <laughs> and we were on this trail. It's probably like two miles long to this beaver pond. And I remember I had gone all the way to the end of the trail and back and made like maybe three photos. And he was still standing in the same place and making mm -hmm. photos. And I was like, oh, must, what, are you, what, are, what are you photographing, you know? And, and it just dawns on me that, and I've, I take a similar approach now too. Now I'm much, much slower in my approach and much more just open and I don't, I'm not in a hurry to get anywhere, but it's just dawned on me that like, that was, that's Jimmy's secret sauce too. He's, he's, he doesn't have the, what did you call it? The hurry sickness. He doesn't have that. Yeah. Hurry sickness. He, he, he probably was watching me and he's like, wow, that guy has hurry sickness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's actually a good exercise as to, um, well, if people who can slow down, aside from, you know, putting a chain on their leg and tie him to the tree, um, is to actually say, okay, stop, take 10 paces and stop. I know Freeman Patterson does this on his workshops. Um, and just stay there and, and shoot 30 pictures. And don't leave that spot until you make 30 pictures. Um, they may not be so-called award-winning pictures, but they will help you have, you know, little breakthroughs. Or it just takes time to find things. I guess you could think about, um, I don't know if I could relate this to nature, but if you, um, <clears throat> if you drive around your neighborhood in a town or a city you live in versus walking the same route, um, you will see so many different things because you're, you're slowing down, you're taking the stuff you didn't even know. I, I, it's interesting how that works, and uh, I can't equate that to nature so much. But no, that's a, I'm sure that and that's a perfect. Hopefully, analogy. people don't take a motorcycle through the uh, 
trails. <laughs> no, no, no. That's a perfect or, analogy. Uh, yeah. I was I was thinking back to um, yeah. when I lived in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> it's very walkable there. And where I moved from, Colorado Springs, is not walkable at all. And it was the first mm. time in my life that I found myself spending a lot of time walking between my house and other places. Because um, in Colorado mm. Springs, I lived, you know, way out, you know, in the suburb, middle of nowhere. And you, if you wanted to go anywhere, you had to drive. And living in Portland really opened my eyes to kind of what you're talking about. I remember I would start to notice all kinds of things in the city, like, oh, look how they have this decorated on their fence. Like, just really mundane mm -hmm. things that would start to catch my attention. And I think what you're saying is very useful if people can take that analogy to heart. I think it works very well. Yeah, I, I've, I've experienced... Uh, you know, going to a, the parking lot of a trailhead for conservation area or a provincial park. And, you know, two hours later, I haven't made it much past the park, the parking lot, because there was such amazing tree formations. And, you know, so that's just, an, I mean, there's so many examples, but yeah. I guess it all comes back to that just taking your time. And, and seeing does take time. It, it, yeah, I think it's so natural. We live in such hurried uh, environments. I mean, everything is like, fast food, Amazon one day delivery. We're just so pumped up for everything right away. Um, so I think there's, it's almost like the opposite. The opposite to that is uh, good. So I hope that kind of addresses that whole concept of slowness. And I hope it doesn't become a, a cliche as much as. No. I do. Another <clears throat> thing I was going to add into that is um, what I see a lot of photographers doing, including myself, a lot of trips is, you know, if, like, let's say you've got a trip to plan to Utah and you create this list of all these locations that you want to go to, right? You're like, oh, I want to, I want to go see this. I want to go see that. I want to go to this place. I wanna... And to me, like that approach to making f images also puts you in that kind of mental mode of being rushed and you're going to miss out on a lot of things that if, I think it's much more advantageous if you want to create work that's a little bit more meaningful, a little bit more unique, maybe just mm -hmm. pick two of those five places and spend more time at them, you know, put it in puts the time. a lot of pressure on you. There's a lot of pressure on you. When you're under pressure, I don't know if you could be as creative as, you know, to get these different locations, right? I think, I don't right. know, for me, I would be, I would crumble under the pressure of that maybe... You know, I, I have done, I've done commercial assignments for architects and they've always been really successful. And, but I got to tell you, it's a lot of pressure because you got to, you got to produce this stuff there. They're, it always works out, but you know, it's, uh, it's not something I'd want to be doing all the time. Yeah. That makes that sense. Pressure on you. Well, cool, <laughs> Richard. So uh, a couple more questions for you. What are some things that you have coming up? Uh, that you'd like our audience to know a little bit more about. Okay, well, I had to jot that down a bit. And uh, um, the next sort of major thing I have coming up is uh, is um, Japan, a workshop in Japan in May. I'm doing a full program, plus I'm doing an extension for the architecture in Tokyo, the modern architecture. Oh, wow. Uh, then I'm going back to Newfoundland in August which is something I love going to every year. It restores me. It's just a beautiful, beautiful place to, uh, to see. And I got another trip to Columbia um, in the end of next year. And all those tours and workshops are on my website. 
Um, and I have a critique group with Eric Bennett, April 22nd, but this may not air um, be, uh, before, uh, it may air after that. But I also have Out of Chicago Street uh, workshop with Out of Chicago in the city in June. Okay, awesome. And that's going to be exciting. That's my first time. I've been three years with Out of Chicago Live, and this would be my first time in person. I get to meet Chris and yeah. all the other people, so that's nice. Yeah, he's... He's a um, he's yeah. a good dude, he's a goofball. Yeah, I think they they run a they run a really great. I'm very impressed. Well, you've been two or three years with them. Yeah, I've done. Live, uh, yeah, I've done two lives and two in persons. Okay, so I did a, I did a panel with you on conservation photography with Eric Bennett, and was that the was that the second year? Yeah, or, that was a I did three years technically. Yeah, that that year I wasn't officially part oh, of it. Okay, Chicago so Life. that's that was, that yeah. was my that was my first year. So it was your not technically not your first year, but yeah, that was like the in between like, yeah. year that I wasn't invited. Yeah, Eric, but Eric it was, just it was snuck me in. A lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. In the back, in the side door, right? You had a backstage pass. Yeah, he's like, um, come, come I really, talk I'm us. really impressed with, I'm really impressed with out of Chicago and what they put on and. Uh, I think it's a it's a fantastic weekend. It's a lot of a lot to see yeah. and a lot to to view. Yeah, I hope they do it again in twenty 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 four. Yeah, I, I it's up up it's up in the air. I don't know. I don't know if they're going to do the uh, as a Zoom, but I think it it may uh, it may happen that way. So, last question: uh, Who would you recommend for the podcast? Well, there's so many photographers that come to mind, and. Uh, but as I made a list, I, I realized that a lot of them have already been on your podcast. And how many episodes have you? You've, you're over three hundred. Yeah, this when this one comes out, it'll be three sixteen. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah. So okay, so my list was I had on my list uh, some Canadian photographers um, to start off with, and the first one was Stephen Patterson. Um, and I mentioned him before in presentations, and um, I think his he's a his work is has a very sophisticated eye, and it's really hard to explain photography, but um, it's just it's really inspiring. I have I have worked with him over the years in conferences, and I've done workshops with him, and he just blows me away with the way he sees, the way he's his vision is very unique and very fresh. Um, so that is one, and the other photographer, and he's uh, Stephen Patterson's in Halifax. Uh, the other photographer is Andre Gallant. He's a teaching partner with Steve, uh, with um, Freeman Patterson. And by the way, Stephen Patterson is not related to Freeman Patterson. But. So Andre Gallant is the second one, and uh, the third one is a, and also Andre is in New Brunswick, was Eastern Canada. Uh, Mike Grand Mason is another photographer in Winnipeg, Canada, Manitoba, and uh, he's been—he's a landscape photographer, and he's been—he has a great body of work. He has several books, and I think he'd be an interesting one to 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 look up. Um, the last Canadian on that list was Marie Sonri, and uh, he's out of Moncton, and he does—he does cameras for healing and projects, and uh, he's very involved in. And photography and uh, workshops and so on, and then I awesome. had on the other part of the list was Tony Sweet, which I 
I just reconnected with Tony Sweet on the last day of Chicago, and uh, so we had a Zoom meeting after that and just caught up a little bit. But yeah, so that was that's my list of I don't that's my list of photographers. I'm sure you get lots of suggestions. No, but I. I depend on these suggestions for future episodes, so I really yeah, appreciate you, it. I remember you showing you had a long list of uh, charts of all these different names that you were juggling and trying to get coordinated. And so yeah, it's it's uh, it must it's be fun. quite a task. <laughs> yeah, I bet it is, and you get to talk to a lot of different personalities. And yeah, well, yeah, Richard, this has been awesome, and I think what we'll do is we'll save potentially one of my favorite topics for our Patreon bonus episode, which is perfectionism. But um, for now, we'll go ahead and sign off. And thank you so much. I had such a great time. Yeah, and, and thank you, too. I, I so enjoyed uh, the conversation, and uh, I hope that some of my uh, answers made sense. It was wonderful to be on here. Yeah, of course. Thank you, Richard, for joining us on the podcast. You are a huge inspiration to so many photographers, and I loved how you explained your approach to making photos. It gave me a lot to think about, and I know our listeners will also be thinking about how this affects them for quite some time. Thank you so much, my friend. Well, that's all I've got for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.